I'm Stephanie Hammond, and this is the Fruition Podcast. On this show, I sit down with passionate people who've brought their dreams to fruition. We'll explore different versions of success and fulfillment and dig into what was on their mind along the way. With these conversations, I hope we can all expand our sense of possibility. And who knows, maybe hearing their stories will inspire you to take action on yours. Hello, and welcome back to the Fruition Podcast. I'm so grateful to have you back here again to listen to another conversation. Today, we have Monica Plath, who is the founder and CEO of a technology company called Little Bird Care. They create wearables for toddlers so that parents can feel connected to their child while they're away from them. So think of a working parent who has a toddler and a nanny. This wearable allows the parent to feel connected to their child while they're away, know what they're doing, and feel more comfortable with the distance. So I'm really grateful to have Monica on the show. She's brought this huge dream to fruition, and there have been a lot of trials and tribulations along the way, and she is kind enough and vulnerable enough to share those with us. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. There's lots of great lessons in here. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. My handle is path to fruition, and you can DM me there if you have ideas for future guests or if you want to talk more about the conversation that we have here today. Okay, I hope you enjoy. Bye. Hi, Monica. How are you? I'm well. How are you, Stephanie? Doing very well. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. I would love to get to know a little bit about your childhood and your background, where you grew up and what your community was like, what your family was like. Do you have any siblings? Yeah, all the above. I grew up in Socomi Valley, which is not as rural as it used to be. Um, we had that perfect little childhood where we were somewhat remote, but close enough that we could still see our friends, you know, when we needed to a car right away. But doing 4-H, we had all the animals and, um, you know, the kind of that sheltered life that maybe doesn't exist so much anymore. Um, and maybe one that I am seeking somewhat to create for my own children where I want to foster that independence where people can, our children can still make mistakes in a, in a safe fashion. Um, yeah, I'm excited to share that with my brother and his children eventually. I have a younger brother named Michael. He lives in Ellensburg. Um, my parents have uh, been in the same house for almost 25 years. Wow. And yeah, I think that's pretty much the long and short of it. Not much else has changed in their life, I feel like, besides having a couple grandchildren come in and be little tornadoes. Is 4-H horseback riding and like wrangling cows chickens like what does that actually involve I've heard of it but I don't actually know what it is um when you should ask I was a 4-H uh dairy cow show person I guess you could call it um I won the was it uh, King County Fair showmanship at one point in time back wow what an honor I know (laughs) I could really shave a cow and yeah, that was fun. Is that what it is? You shave the cow in, in the actual competition? Is that a part of it or before? It's, it's all part of it. Like with horses or with anything, you like shave them, groom them, you know, you scrub them down and it was, I mean, my parents, God bless them. We would wake up at like 4am and get up to whatever fairgrounds, Evergreen Kelp and be there at like 5 a.m. or earlier getting these cows ready for a show for a day at the wow. fair. I mean, I think for my parents, like just really enforcing like hard work and drive and working towards goals was instilled really early on, whatever it was. And my brother and I happened to like really love animals at the time. We also were, you know, in all the different sports that we could throw ourselves in. We were just out di- like the, just the dirty kids with like, you know, dirt under the nails all the times. Um, but yeah, cows, I got in the barrel racing randomly. It was just always like, I want to try everything. I want to experience everything. And I try to, my kids are still super young, but I want to foster that curiosity for them as well. Did you think that you would maybe have a farm in the future or go in that direction? I would love to at some point. I think we'll just have to see where the wind blows us. A part of me wants to take them out and show them the world at any opportunity we have. But I like the idea of having roots or we could do things like animal husbandry and sports and you know interact with our community 
but we'll see what their interests are and being able to foster them is really like what I live for. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. So going back to you when you were a little kid and you were doing all these sports and you were winning competitions in 4-H, what did you think your future was going to look like? What did you want it to look like? If you even thought about that when you were a little kid. Good question. I wasn't someone that had an aspirational person that I wanted to be or role model that I wanted to emulate like some of my friends, even though I played competitive soccer year round. Everyone wanted to be me a ham. And I remember that moment. Um, Totally. (laughs) I was just really acutely aware from a young age, all that I didn't know. And I never wanted to commit to one certain direction without uncovering the next rock. And I think that's just a part of who I am. I just have a really big thirst for knowledge and curiosity about life and understanding how the world works and how people work. And it sounds like your parents really helped facilitate that exploration into different things. Were they ever kind of guiding you in one direction or the other or have any sort of kind of like influence or desires for you, I guess? I think they would have preferred that I choose a safer, more defined role as many parents do, like financial security and all of that that comes with it. Uh, for me, there's an inherent risk in following passions or dreams, and maybe that's part of the allure of doing something that's against the grain. Mm-hmm. What did your parents do um, to provide financial security for your family, and, and what did you witness in your community? You said Snoqualmie Valley was kind of rural at the time that you were growing up there. Was it agriculture, or what were people doing to earn an income? It was very agricultural and there were a lot of dairy farms when I was growing up. I had a lot of friends whose parent or fathers were into logging or other um, like industry. And I think that has really changed. And a lot of the dairies are CrossFits or just, I think, abandoned or waiting for redevelopment at some point, which has been sad. But it's also nice to see that uh, we have new members of the community coming out and appreciating you know, being 30, 35 minutes away from Seattle and feeling a world away. Um, And my father's background is commercial real estate, um, like brokerage and development, which is something that I also went into at a young age. I was licensed at 18 um, before I went even into college and see a lot of parallels with um, commercial real estate, brokerage and development and entrepreneurship in terms of needing to you know, I don't want to say like eat what you kill, but like, you know, you have to provide for yourself. You have to really set your own schedule, hold yourself accountable. And if you're not making deals or you're not making progress, you know, you're not getting paid. So I think there has to have that real fuel in the fire and being able to um, see that my father's work ethic where he was able to both provide for his family, but also be there for milestone moments like my, you know, cow showing debut, um, soccer games, baseball games, and dinners and things like that was really important to me. And I think I saw that early on that my dad was at all the games and maybe some of my friend's parents weren't. And just setting that role model uh, for myself and how I want to be as a parent for the future. Yeah. Was that messaging something that was kind of explicitly communicated to you, that idea of eat what you kill and and if you're not consistently working towards something and progressing, that you're not making money? Or was that implied through his work ethic and, and what you witnessed? Um, less so. Yeah, definitely less so from him. I mean, he never really spoke about work per se. I didn't really have any understanding of it until I Um, went interviewed and got hired myself and got into the world of brokerage um, after college and through internships. So that was more just learning from what the other brokers were saying and like, why would you want to do this? And, you know, property management is so much safer and I think safety can be boring some, but at the same uh, token, you know, there's a bigger risk, bigger reward. What prompted you to get your real estate license when you were 18? Oh, just my dad. I mean, I wanted to have something to fall back on, and it was a skill that I knew that I had. I enjoyed talking with people. I enjoyed negotiations, putting deals together, seeing opportunity where other people perhaps didn't. 
And that's also, you know, additional uh, parallels with entrepreneurship again. You know, you just see these lines and I think there's themes in your life that you just start being, okay, like that's something that I'm drawn to. That's something that I'm comfortable with. Um, or things that like, you know, stagnation for me is I don't want to go into work and do the exact same thing every day. Like that would be awful for me. Um, so just having a variety and, you know, following the advice of people where like, you know, find something that makes you happy and just do more of that. I can't encourage people to do more than that. I mean, it's, it's so basic and it's so ignored. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Did you think that you would maybe go directly into real estate then when you got your license at 18? Or did you want to go to school at that point after you graduated from high school? Were you maybe weighing your options? Oh, no. It was just something to do on the side, like a side hustle until I graduated. I wanted to have my college education and that experience and that network. You know, a lot of business is related to network and the people and places that you are familiar with. And so it was imperative that I be in the community that I wanted to then work in. Where did you end up going to school and what did you think you wanted to study? It sounds, you, you said that you noticed this through line in hindsight of your life. It sounds like maybe it's people and connecting with people and helping the people in your community in some way. So did you notice it at that point And did you think you wanted to study something along those lines like communications or um, marketing maybe? Yeah, I definitely studied communications and business. Those were things that were of interest to me. Sales, I guess, you know, sales certificate or something from University of Washington, like in the process. Yeah, I think just connecting with people and being out there and not having to go in, like I said, and do the exact same thing every day. I wanted to I didn't really know until I got out there. I think even with the internship, right, you're observing, but until you're doing that day in and day out, you don't really know what it's like. And I still don't know what I, what I don't know. You know, there's maybe that I still haven't found the perfect job. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now. And I think, like you said, helping people has been a big core of uh, my passion for a long time. I was involved from a really young age in charities and, um, my mom worked with Northwood Children's Fund and then the Sophia's Way, and I worked through those with like through college. Um, I got into Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Um, I think more recently, Save the Children and then YMCA. I I think my passion is helping children and families and people that are underserved. I think I acknowledge that I have had pretty good opportunities, but maybe some people aren't, whether that's like a medical choice that they can't make, you know, for themselves or, you know, by family or whatever circumstances led them and being able to like be, um, like a helping hand or whether that's like, you know, helping with fundraising or we did some fostering when I was growing up. And now I'm with my current company, you know, having families where parents have to work, um, to you know, provide for their families, but they still want to feel present on their part and giving back to them then and like, okay, you have care choices, you know, validating, I think, to prevent some of the situations that maybe I was exposed to early on, like, okay, like I, as a parent, want to make sure I'm making the best care choices for my children. I want to know that, you know, they're where they're supposed to be, they're with who they're supposed to be with, um, and how they're feeling and just know all of these things. I think that like as a parent and as a caregiver, we only get one side of the story and that's from the people reporting on the care, but maybe the individual has experienced something totally different. And I wanted to really validate the children or the special needs or whoever else like that's on the receiving end of care and give them a voice. And that's been really what's been driving me. You mentioned foster care a couple of times in situations that you had witnessed earlier. So did your family take in foster children and and you had foster siblings? We did off and on. Yeah. And that was, you know, an experience in itself. And I won't go into any detail there. I mean, that's those people's lives, but it's obviously left a lasting mark on me and seeing how some of these young people or maybe afraid of the world or naive to the world or people and, you know, wanting to protect them. I think there's that like really like strong, I have like a really maternal sense and wanting to like help people and lead them in the right direction as much as I can. Mm -hmm. Was that when, when you were much younger or in your 
adolescent years going into high school and college? That was more, yeah, middle school and maybe early high school. Wow. Wow. I can imagine that would be profoundly impactful. Was there any point during that experience that you you had like a conscious realization of, wow, I see somebody experiencing something completely different than what I did myself. I want to, you know, shape the direction of my future towards helping people. I mean, I, I doubt that a, a middle schooler would think in those words, but something along those lines of, I, I want to help people, specifically kids in this situation, is that something that you think guided you, whether consciously or subconsciously, in your decisions afterwards? Yeah. Um, I won't go into detail, but there was definitely a little girl that had um, negative predispositions, and it broke my heart. And just knowing that I came from a place of safety and she did not, and, you know, we weren't her forever, and that's really hard and being able to wish or will some sort of technology now into existence that could maybe protect children from certain situations, certain people or identify uh, poor care choices is definitely something that I think could help whatever system or organization that does work in those fields. At what point do you did you actually think of the idea for Little Bird? Was it um, years and years and years ago and you had to kind of work your way into actually developing it? Or was it a more recent idea and you'd been thinking of different solutions that you might toy with in the past and then finally landed on this? Yeah, I think it's going on two and a half years that when I started thinking about it and maybe two years since we incorporated and that was really just to make, you know, put the idea, you know, flag in the ground, like, okay, this is, we're going to do this. But I did spend um, some of my initial, like my saving the idea from again, a poor care choice. Um, someone that I had hired to watch my child off care.com. We were living in Yakima at the time and we didn't have a whole, like a big support system in terms of care. And um, I validated someone through references. Um, we even like had people in common. And um, I left the house to go to work. And she was pulling out of my driveway on my ring camera. And my child was no longer in their crib on the Wi-Fi monitor. And there's just like that like pure moment of panic. And she wasn't answering her phone. And you know, long story short, it was fine. She was like moving her car out of my drive, whatever it was, the child was fine. I, you know, released her from working with us. Um, but that night I went online and I was like, oh, I'll just buy something. I just want to know like where he is, who he's with and that he's safe. Um, and I was like, this is like super primal. It's like a really basic need for a mother and a child, especially like a younger child. I mean, he can't tell me where he is. He can't pick up a phone can't tell me how his day went. Um, but I really felt like a failure, you know, like I thought I did all the right things and it still was like them so hard, you know, inviting someone into your life, but there really isn't a care structure yet that helps, um, define that caregiver relationship. And that's really what I'm trying to do with little bird is you have a wearable on a toddler and a parent and caregiver are connected on the app and, Everyone's in a care ecosystem and it's transparent and the, you know, babysitters, nannies and daycares that have um, piloted it have been excited. I mean, like, no, we support the transparency. Like we want to be validated as caregivers. We're doing a good job. We care about children. And then there's some, and maybe those are the flag ones. We're like, oh, like, I don't want you knowing where I am or like where we're going. And I'm like, well, if you're with my child, like I think I'm entitled to have that information, you know, like maybe this isn't the best choice of a career for you. So maybe being able to sort out some of um, the bad ones. And like I said earlier, give a voice to the people that maybe can't uh, speak for themselves. Right, right. So in in that situation that you experienced, how would you be able to interact with the little bird ecosystem to understand better what was happening or or to feel more comfortable? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, On our 
application, which we designed with influence from Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's like a really user-friendly interface. Like you intuitively know how to use it. Um, and that we designed that very intentionally. But you pull it up and you know exactly where your child is in that moment in real time. I mean, assuming that you have cellular service. I mean, that's that's the catch. Make sure your phone works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, have to have that disclaimer. But yeah, I mean, we have a GPS and we have cellular service with the device. So there's really, you know, very few barriers to prevent you from knowing where your child is. And you can see their heart beating. Like, are they stressed? You know, are they getting activity? You can like call or text your caregiver right from there, but the caregiver can also, you know, reach out to you if there is an instance or we have a super unique child profile where it has their nap times, their routine, their allergies, likes, dislikes, so that a caregiver can reference that instead of maybe carrying around a sheet of the parent's address. If there's an emergency, like, you know, you're frantic, you're not thinking it. We wanted to have everything in one place so that could always be reported like here's the doctor's information i mean it just caught me off guard that the the best means of communicating with a caregiver was still leaving a binder out with some information you know a couple years ago i think there's other apps that are trying to bridge that as well but there was nothing doing this connected care ecosystem where you have like a tether between the person doing the supervising care and the child you know like And if that tether breaks, if they're out of Bluetooth range, the parent and caregiver are notified and it goes straight to cellular. So you always have a feed on where they are. Just because the the target market we're looking at of toddlers shouldn't be out of ear or eyesight, right? I mean, they need constant supervision. And that's really not to like big brother a parent. It's really empowering both the caregiver the parents and the toddler, like, oh, let's make good care choices. Let's feel good about the direction we're going. Let's, you know, work together to raise the child, like kind of bringing that community closer. I think that's what's been, was really hard. It's just, you know, the village, so to speak, has gone so digital that there is less communication than there used to be. I don't want to like say data and get like fear monger, but like, you know, what, what biomarkers in terms of like heart rate or sleep patterns are there? For like, you know, autism diagnosis, a lot of children aren't diagnosed till they're in kindergarten or much older when they're around other children. Like maybe there's something that we can see earlier and have earlier interventions or support the parents and the children to have positive outcomes. Or maybe there's certain situational things that like lunch to trigger a child. Being able to just identify those and cater to that individual child's baseline versus just treating everyone like they're the same is really the direction we'd like to go. Wow. Wow. It sounds like there's a lot of potential for the device itself and the app and the company. Do you have, are you working with psychologists and doctors to help kind of understand those biomarkers or how are you expanding the company to grow in that direction? Yeah, we've tapped into a couple of different medical resources and working through which relationships are going to foster, you know, the direction we want to go in. Um, I think that's a whole nother like way to navigate, right? And for us, like the the crucial component that we need to do is just get more of these uh, wearables on children and start getting that information so that we can refine that and also understanding like here's this child's base science. I mean, it's all fully encrypted and we're COPA compliant and everything, but like as you know, as, as a set of data lives in the universe, right? Like for that there's a child like here's a data for an age group for like a male it's 18 months like what does that look like next to another male of 18 months and being able to start like showing the overlap so you know do kids that are 18 months uh, go to bed at seven sleep 10 hours or do kids that sleep go to bed at eight o'clock you know sleep better or worse or like you know what sort of predictive modeling we have outside of a, a medical setting I think just um, I think we all want to optimize our lifestyles in the in the best way and also cater like we're doing this for ourselves. You know, I think about it like everything that can be connected will be connected. That's like the way I live and my mantra. Um, you know, the whole thing with little birds, I would, would hire Wag or Rover and know where my dog went on a walk, where he went to the bathroom and get photos. And I'm like, my kid was with his babysitter for five hours and they went on a walk and I have no photos. Like I don't have any updates. Like, did they actually go where she said they went? You know, all of this, all these questions. Right. And I'm like, I don't like love my dog, but like 
if it was a choice, it wouldn't be hard. Dog versus child. Um, yeah, we need more updates <laughs> on the child, please. <laughs> yes. So for me, there's that. And then just my house and myself and like you have O-ring and Apple Watch, and like optimizing your sleep and like productivity and what you need for the recharge. Am I recharging my toddler enough? Like, is he in his best self for frame of mind for learning and happiness? And like, could I be you know, helping him be better in some way, or am I doing something wrong? And I'm sure I am like, what am I doing every day to traumatize my children? I'm sure I'll find <laughs> out in 20 or 30 years, you know, when they tell the therapist. Um, but um, yeah, I think just learning and understanding and trying to grow with the technology that is available to us to, to have better outcomes for everybody. Yeah, it is bizarre. Now that you mentioned WAG and Rover, it's bizarre that nothing exists for toddlers and for kids at this point. I mean, at least to my knowledge, I know that there's Fitbit for kids, but we need more than just steps and <laughs> more intelligence from the data that's collected, I think, which um, exactly. is what's missing out there. Yeah, it's like, okay, there's an AirTag or like, you know, there's all these other like GPS. I'm like, oh, we know who your child is with. I'm like, do you? Because I can just take that little like, or whatever it is and throw it on anybody else and that's where your kid is right like I want to tie this to my child's like heart rate like I want we were interviewing um a professional hockey player earlier today and you know he was in Russia playing and in the like doing the Olympics and everything and his wife was with their child at home and he's like I like would call them whenever I could he's like I wish you know I could have just opened like he, they told me multiple times, like, I just wish I could, like, look and see that he's okay. You know, there's always that, like, moment, like, what's that quick fix mm-hmm. that hit, you know? Like, can I like something? Can I feel like I'm still a part of? So I feel like I'm parenting from across the world. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, a new version of just watching the um, the nanny cam while they're in their crib, like you said. Exactly. There's so much more connection than that. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, I mean, you're learning a ton. I assume all of this is new to you every single day, which is what you said you wanted. You wanted a different no. challenge every day and it sounds like you're getting it. So that's amazing. Do you think that anything you've done in your past, I know that you were in real estate before, did any of that prime you for this? Do you feel like maybe you had kind of a knack for what you're working on or what you are digging into in your research and your conversations day to day? I think part of parenthood is just hacking your life together and (laughs) figuring out what works every single day with your children um, because they change every day sometimes like they like macaroni and cheese one day and hate it the next um talk about technology like being an agile learner yes um that is what parenthood is um yeah I think partly brokerage I think probably just being my mom would would say that I'm not really good at being told no. Like I just figure out a different way to ask the question. Um, and that's not like a, a way of like, I think it's more of just figure out a way to, so we can both get what we want, right? And I like that. I just want to know more. I just am not ever satiated with just finishing the book. I always want the next chapter. Yeah, I just, I'm just really happy to be working with people pushing the limits. And I think there's just this huge... I wake up and I think like, I guess I don't really question if it's worth it. It's one of those, it's the most bizarre feeling that I've ever had where it's like, I wake up and I know that I just have to do this. Obviously I could just not to do this and go do something else. Um, but I just know that I need this technology to exist for myself and for my family. And that's literally what keeps me up at night. And I know that sounds probably bizarre, however true it is. And I have other people that are believers in it with me and that fosters just this fire that is fueling all of us. We're like, we know this needs to get to market. It's not a matter of us bringing it to the world. You know, somebody else will, this is new. And it's one of those things where there's a product that is such an obvious category and it doesn't exist. And we're getting invited to, you know, different platforms and distribution channels because we're a novel technology. And I simply just don't have the capacity to expand um, into these channels at our, you know, current rate right like we just need to like there's a blitz scale that we could do but there's also like so many things that need to be done correctly to make sure that we can move on to that next step it's a daily game of tetris (laughs) yeah yeah well something that i see is a common thread between people who are doing something new and big and novel like what you said is 
a really, really, really strong but personal why. And that's what you mentioned is that you, it literally keeps you up at night. It causes anxiety when you're away from your children. You cannot believe that it doesn't exist. And it's something that you desperately need in your own life. You're solving a problem for yourself. And it's a problem that absolutely has to be solved. You can't go on working and raising your children without this solution. So there's no stone that you're not going to turn to figure it out. And then the second one is this approach of just openness and curiosity. And it seems like you come into conversations with new people or probably experts, I would assume, and you're coming into it not trying to prove anything, but desperate to learn and desperate to make this thing work because the why is so important to you. And it seems like you really prioritize surrounding yourself with, with experts who, you know, can, can make it happen and bringing on the best team and are open to, to doing and learning from whoever it takes. There's so many others that I think limit themselves by trying to do it all themselves from pride. Maybe I'm not, I'm not totally sure, but, um, a lot of people don't have that skill of openness, which I think is something that you have to practice and learn. And you've been developing your curiosity and your openness for a long time, it sounds, and clearly it's working out for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know everything. I don't pretend to know everything. And I think I just try to surround myself with people that are infinitely smarter than me. And yeah, in terms of experts, you just find people that have knowledge in a field that is different from your own and share the curiosity, right? Or they're like, oh my gosh, like I've been thinking about this problem for years. Like my CTO is like that. And one of my board members is like, I remember being like this, you know, 20 years ago. And, but it's one of those things with technology is it was so interesting when we were starting this like three years ago when I like had the idea and I talked to some I guess, uh, experts in technology, embedded systems technologies. And they're like, that technology doesn't exist. Like it'll exist in two years. It's in, but it's not like up and running there. But if you start now and I'm like, oh my gosh, two years is so far. Like, oh, it's going to take, I don't know. And it's so wild how fast those two years went and how far we've come. And like, you really have to flesh an idea out for like, you know, whatever amount of time, especially with hardware, we have this connected system, which everyone says, don't do hardware. And I hundred percent back that like hardware sucks. Please don't do it. If you can avoid it. Um, I could not, unfortunately, avoid it. And yeah, you just kind of figure your way out through it and then come out on the other side and you're like, okay, and now everyone is, there's all these, you know, we're a fast follower in some respects to the outlet. And then there's other adjacencies like Geobit or different like parenting apps. And it's like, okay, but we're these kind of apex of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs where it's like, we're connecting like the physiological with the psychological, like these other ones are maybe touching on these other basis points. And we're trying to combine, like, what does it feel like to feel complete and feel complete in care? And I know that's like, whoa, woo woo, too big picture. But for me, like when I envision what our competitive matrix, it kind of is like that, or why are more people not playing in this? And it's like, okay, there's this connection to care and body, obviously. And people are like, well, yeah, but <laughs> why not yet? So here we are. So just, waiting for technology, Bluetooth, cellular, all these things. They've been prohibitive in the past, and now it's they still, still, are, still are tough. But And I think we're all going to be there soon. It's This is just maybe we're at the forefront, but it's not that we're going to be playing in this field by ourselves for long. Yeah, and I actually think that that's really beneficial to you and that someone else, a competitor, might create a little piece of the puzzle that you need, and you might do the same for them, and hopefully – that raises both ships, you know, and hopefully that brings you both forward because like you said, your ultimate vision is connection of care and body for the child. You want to better care for your child, make sure that they're safe. You have this really strong mission and vision and cause. And I, I mean, tell me if this is right, but I think that that's what attracts those experts that you needed to get this done to you because mm -hmm. when you have that clear of a vision and a cause those people who share it can find you and then help you further that because it's their cause too do you feel like that was true for you it, it sounds like it was but I'm curious what was it actually like two and a half three years ago you're in real estate and you want to make this thing how did how did you make that first connection with someone who shares your cause? And, and how did you take that first step to actually creating this 
huge business? Um, I talked to a friend, family friend who had been a serial entrepreneur that had experience in these embedded systems and technologies who are talking like Bluetooth and cellular. I'm like, this is like my, they call it that like moonshot, right? Like, what does that look like to like solve whatever you want? And it's really wild that I went back to like my original like product research document and everything that I put on there pretty much from the beginning two years ago is now working on this device like in my hand and on this connected application it's so surreal and I pinch myself the people that are connected to this project and the minds that are at work and the creativity that has been involved but um yeah my family friend kind of put me in the right direction um it was like more high level I don't know how much of like this level of entrepreneurship that he had done himself but it was enough that um you know, just, I think you start sniffing around, start looking under rocks. You just start asking everyone. I think that was people, you have no idea. I mean, that's also with real estate though. You just take everyone out to coffee. You never know who you're going to introduce to. So always asking, oh, well, who else do you think I, sh- I should talk to? And then just taking that and talking to those two or three other people. And then all of a sudden you have this huge network and wealth of knowledge. And some people are really excited and then they never talk to you again. And that's like very Seattle. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> it really is. Oh, the sting is so hard. I don't I get know. it. It's, it is wild. Um, like, Oh my God, that was such a great coffee and a follow-up email, like radio silence. Like, yep. do I smell bad? Was <laughs> it off putting? Like I thought that we had what some giggles. What did I say? Rehashing every single word in my mind. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm like, wow, this is like, it's, the parallels of dating and then also starting a company and then also now fundraising for a company is so similar. It's disgusting. It's like you're dating for the right people, trying to like find the right groove and like what can each person give and get. And but you know what? It's for oh. the better when those things don't work out because that's clearly not like in dating the partner that you're supposed to be with. That person oh, isn't 100%. right for you and the connection isn't there. So 100%. best to move on. I am so comfortable with rejection when I like three years ago I think when I like you know had the first door basically slammed in my face I think I cried you know and I was just like oh my god like what did I do like this is such a good idea and now I'm like it's not for everyone like just like this you know whatever specific glass of wine isn't for everyone some people like IPAs there's nothing wrong with that like let them drink their gin I don't know um or how do you take your coffee you know it's just you just find the people that it resonates with and you hold on to them and with a bear hug. And, <laughs> but for everybody else, like let them come and go through your life. And it's just like, who knows, like who you'll be able to connect them with that then that later resonates. Totally. Yeah. How did you, so you, you met with this family friend. It sounds like you got some really good advice to take those first steps, do some product research, market research, like you said, are you still working in real estate at this point? How did you actually um, start the development of it in terms of splitting your time? And um, when did you decide maybe it's time to focus on this full time if I'm actually going to make it happen? Yeah. Um, let's see. I probably started on this full time about a year and a half ago. So I started kicking rocks, so to speak, with this with them. Um, my child was six months old when I first had the first meeting when I had that weird care experience. And then I was working part-time property management and then like a little brokerage here and there, but I was a new mom. And then um, I was pregnant with a toddler on my lap while I was hiring these teams. And so when my second son was born at a C-section and I was having app development meetings with my developers, <laughs> <laughs> and check-ins while in the hospital like still like there's like no time off and I just remember like being like there being home like post oh c-section gosh. like foggy I mean like this doesn't work right we need to fix it and that's when we were like debugging and hacking like Fitbits and all these other things I'm like this isn't going to work and that's where I was like oh my gosh like having this moment of like okay I thought we were like light at the end of the tunnel we could just hack some product piece something together with a contract manufacturer like everybody else does from you know Asia or something and put our hard, you know, our software on that hardware. 
And I was like, we're going to have to make our own hardware. Like, this is going to be exponentially more difficult and cost prohibitive than I could ever have imagined. And then I had to go and talk to all these other hardware people, people that were like, don't do this. It was like traumatizing for me. Like, I barely got out alive. Um, And then I convinced some other people that had said they were never going to do hardware again to go do hardware again because like, no, this is a technology that's worth it and we'll help you figure it out. Um, And so it was last April of 2021 is when I met my team, which like they did a lot of um, R&D for Fitbit and took them from a kind of idea to exit and like for design. And then they designed our product and helped implement it and get us from idea to our basically shippable product here in my hand. Um, And that was so a little bit over a year, but like we raised $2 million in a period of six months. We had like the idea, we were able like, hey, here's the technology that we need to exist. Here's our prototype, we're prototyping. We had a team, we had incredible momentum like the first six, eight months. And then we were gonna fundraise in February of this year and my team in the Ukraine, um, we all know what happened in February and that was just a totally surreal moment. We had a Wednesday conversation and then they were just off grid. Um, luckily everyone was okay, but it went from having their children, you know, run in the background of some of the calls and their dog jumping on their lap to like just periods of silence and like to, to feel like what they are going through and like living, you know, world apart from, from that. And like, you know, uh, I don't know, that was just a really interesting thing to go through during pre-seed and, and witness. Um, they're still working with us and, um, we had delays, you know, in our beta. So we're like three or three months behind. We wanted to be just based off of, um, we weren't able to ship them a product. It was ship, you know, waiting in customs because nothing was going to the country. So we had someone that was going to Poland, give it to an aid worker and smuggle it in so that we could hit our milestones. And, you know, I have investors being like, why has this not been deployed yet? And I was like, well, uh, funny you should ask. Um, yeah, so I think and those were you know choices of mine. Um, I think there was pressure for me to shift our work from Ukraine to um, stateside in the spring. Um, but we were so close. I felt like it wasn't like worth the time. And I guess I was because some Ukraine operations just really shut down. Um, we were still able to meet like some milestones. And then there was like a funding downturn in June. So that was also just an experience that we had to like shoulder throws. So I think it's all like one of those things people say it happens for a reason. I definitely uh, sometimes don't know what the reason is. Uh, maybe we'll find out like what the silver lining is. Um, but we're still here and still pushing forward and we've garnered a lot of interesting attention. We've had a lot of parents reach out to us. We have people purchasing two or three of these at the time knowing that it's on pre-order and not knowing what's going to ship because we would like to ship this, uh, not September, this fall. And I want to get it into parents' hands, getting our betas. I just want to have enough um, of an experience categorized for um, people to like really excite them. And we're, we're pretty much there. We're like doing our deployments and all of our testing. And that's just a factor of needed my team to be okay so that we could enter our testing. So it all worked out in the end. I think if we had shifted things, it probably would have put us probably six months delay. That's just like kind of the team learning curve to like onboard recode and bring it up to speed. But it's just been, it's, you know, I think that's founder's life. I don't think that's maybe necessarily any harder or easier than some of the things other people across those people have had to bear. It's part of like getting through it and just being responsive to the cards that you're dealt every day. It's a different story. Yeah. I'm sure that at points along that path, I mean, that's a lot of turbulence that you've experienced in the process of creating this. You've probably doubted yourself along the way at one point or another. How have you overcome some of those doubts or have you ever, you know, really, really questioned if this is worth it or if, if um, maybe it's something that you could pass on to somebody else and maybe step away from? Yeah. I think I had um, big imposter syndrome in the beginning, and I think that's a really common emotion for early founders in that you just want to, like, hand off your idea for someone else to do it. Like, maybe you don't have the skill set to do it. And we actually interviewed Christina Geist last week, and she's an entrepreneur and book author and mom and just total badass. And she was uh, hitting the same touch point where – 
We're talking about, you know, everyone's trying to pass off their ideas to people that have done it before, but we're all figuring it out. And maybe some of us like have done a certain road before, but the best person to execute on an idea is you. And you're the one with the drive. You're the one with the passion. And if you don't figure it out in the exact right way, like, you know, like the, your vision, then someone else is going to do it wrong. And I think that's something that I really stuck to in the beginning was I had a, I have a very specific vision of what I want it to look like, feel like, act like. And um, it's been a point of battle with me and my team and sometimes, but then other times it's helps for all of us to have the clarity and being able to like reach whatever kind of middle ground that we need to on certain things like screen versus no screen, custom strap versus no custom strap. And like, what is this experience for the end user and how are they like using this in their daily life? Right. I think we don't know a lot of information until we have mass market deployment and then we can start iterating and everyone iteration is next step. Yeah. And obviously there's a long ways to go, but you've already accomplished so much and it's incredibly impressive. What does it feel like to have come this far? Do you feel successful? Do you still feel imposter syndrome sometimes? Like what's, what's the feeling when you think about how far you've come? For me, it feels like whenever we're at the end of one tunnel, we see the light, we just come out and we're about to step into a much longer, deeper, darker tunnel. (laughs) And it's like, we're never really like there. And that like kind of like moment of finality and like arrival is just constantly eluding us. However, I'm really enjoying the journey. I've been getting a lot of reminders lately from investors and board members. Like we've accomplished a lot. Like I think I'm in the weeds every single day. So like, you know, these strides feel like so much shorter to me when really like, no, like, okay, look back, look what you did this week, look what you did this month. And like, this is unheard of speed or, um, you know, see like, oh, this took so-and-so three years or other founders like, oh man, like I was in series B and you've done all this in pre-seed. That's remarkable. And it's like, you know, you want to pat yourself on the back, but then you're like, oh, like, but I didn't do this, you know? And I think that's just us being, maybe that's perfectionist in me or just a founder or, you know, there's always the next, I guess, chapter. And back to that, that I like want to turn that page to and I kind of race through it. But being able to maybe stop and savor the moments, I've been trying to do that more, even with my children, you know, in parenthood, you know, like there's, elements of toddlerhood where I'm like, oh, I just want to get through this and put them to bed. But then I'm like, okay, like how many more nights do I get to like have these really nice little snuggles or, you know, we have coffee in the morning to get like, I have coffee. They have, you know, hot tea or honey, like honey tea, whatever. Yeah. And it's just, okay, stop, slow down, like appreciate all that you have, appreciate as far as you've come and just do the self-care, give back to yourself a little bit and just, we're all just living like, you know, end of the day. Yeah. What do you think success, like what, I guess, what do you envision when you're looking ahead? What, what do you think success will really feel like? What will it, what does it mean to you? What are you striving for? And I guess, how is that different than how you define success back when you were in real estate? Um, it's two-tone. I think just like my big, biggest success would be having two healthy, kind little boys that are curious about the world. I think that would be like it's the biggest benchmark in my life. And then everything else is a bonus. But in terms of little bird, an exit of some, some way, or knowing that our technology was a stepping stone that then helps however many people in the future. And like seeing that we had the vision and that then helped an industry revamp itself. And yeah, I mean, care is so underserved and, there's so many people like on the receiving air and that are like unvalidated and people that want information on people being cared for that aren't confident in their choices and being able to like be that intermediary that starts that conversation is a good place to be. What aspect of your work today feels most fulfilling to you? Um, when I get a call or email someone begging me for their friend. Oh, my friend really wants this. And I said, I knew you, can you ship them a beta or can you talk to them? Or I get an email or direct message from someone being like, I'm so excited. I need three of these or whatever it is, you know, 
we're on the right track and I'm excited to, we're upping our marketing and like reshifting and doing like, we're in that like evolutionary stage. Like I think we've hit like all of our technology milestones that we need to hit. And now it's like, okay, let's start telling our story and getting to that chapter of where like, okay, we can start spending money to target those people that are looking for us. Um, instead of having to go a couple pages, you know, all that search, you know, it's pay to play. So just getting those conversations out there. I'm just so excited to help other parents that have been looking for this like I have. What you've shared with me is remarkable and what you've done is remarkable. And I don't think that you are ever going to give up because it's so tied to your why and your mission and your cause and your personal need. And I'm so, so grateful that you're going after this and creating it for so many people. I mean, I can think of way, way more than 10 people who need this just in my own direct circle of friends. So I'm very glad that you're creating this. Where can people follow along with you and with Little Bird? And um, you said that you are hoping to have the wearables in beta soon. Do you think that that's something that the larger community can find and purchase? Or will it be with a rollout with a certain group of people? Yeah, we have a rollout. So we're um, accepting pre-orders right now for shipping this fall. Okay. And... um, Right now, we're just getting through our beta test through August, so we're just doing like a rollout weekly and just bringing on. Um, we have a pretty large list, but we're always taking new people. Sometimes, like the timing doesn't work out for like kind of the information we need back from folks in time. Um, so they can sign up at www.littlebird.care or send us an email at hello at littlebird.care. I would love to hear from anyone directly from Instagram or Facebook. You can find us. We're just telling our story. Our platform is open, awake. We're excited just to have conversation with parents that are receptive to the idea and want the technology. Awesome. Okay. Well, anyone who's listening, go find them. <laughs> Look them up. Your Instagram is Little Bird Care, right? Little Bird Care. And so is our uh, Facebook and Twitter. Okay, perfect. We'll go check them out. Well, thank, thank you, so, you much. so much, Monica. It was great chatting with you. Thank you. It was nice having you too. Have a great rest of your day. You too.